happy E3 Monday, everyone. Boy, this... I feel like I was just complaining about how I'm not at E3 last year, and I'm like, can't wait to be at E3 next year, and it's like the next day, and suddenly, boom, we already have a bunch of press conferences done. Uh, I am currently sitting in my apartment, uh, just about to go to work, but I thought I'd record a little bit of a short intro for today's podcast. Uh, Today's episode is with the CEO and co-founder of Drifter Entertainment, who's also a former studio manager at Epic Games, and was a lead programmer on Gears of War 1 and 2. Uh, his name is Ray Davis. He's an awesome guy. He, uh, it, it, I didn't even know there was going to be like actually three Gears of War games technically announced. Oddly enough, the tactics one is the one that interests me the most. Um, so we talked a little bit about the future of the franchise without knowing about what the future of the franchise was. But mainly the early portions of the podcast is a conversation about what it was like establishing the foundation for what was to become one of the biggest franchises ever. And uh, what now they, they kind of have this... You look at Gears of War and you think, how can they kind of get it back to the prominence it was at? Because, of course, it's still a major franchise, but times have changed. So we talked a bit about that and about virtual reality, about augmented reality, and a lot of other things he's done. Um, So that's the next 50 minutes of this podcast. Uh, Just wanted to pop in and say I have been watching all of the E3 press conferences. And if you follow me on Twitter, you know I've been (laughs) damn impressed. People are delivering. Like the EA one was what you usually expect from EA, which is more of a... They still do that thing. <laughs> like, you do like last year's Madden game? Well, fuck you. This one's way better. That one was trash, and they didn't do it as much. But there's there was just a lot of you know. Here is the next thing. The ones that have really stood out, of course, are Microsoft and and Bethesda. Uh, Microsoft brought it. It's everything I was hearing. Everything a lot of people were saying was they're going to bring it and um, acquiring Ninja Theory, acquiring all those studios, showing that indie reel, showing just game after game after game, and. Part of me still really likes a slower pace where you get to talk to the developers, but then there's also like the kid in me that's like, if E3 is video game Christmas, let me open as many presents as possible right now. I don't want to take turns. I just want to open these presents. And that was Microsoft. Um, it's It was a really cool show. And Bethesda was um, a slow start with that good old-fashioned patented E3 cringe in moments with a lot of pausing, which, hey, it's a hard job to be up there. Uh, but... <laughs> they really ended it off. Remember that Sony press conference with the Final Fantasy VII remake? And then there was like Shenmue 3, and it was just The Last Guardian opened with, where it's like a whole bunch of things that were way far off. Maybe not The Last Guardian, but like Final Fantasy VII and Shenmue. And, but you just kind of blow your wad where you're like, all right, we're going to make this every single fantasy you have, and we're going to tell you that this game is coming. And none of those games are out yet. And it's probably going to take a while for those games to happen. Uh, but that's kind of what the end of that Bethesda press conference was because they had great stuff leading up to it with, oh, here's you know, the new Doom. Here's this incredible looking Wolfenstein DLC. Um, here's a lot of more information about Fallout 76, which is coming this year. But then it was, here's our likely far off, you know, space RPG. And here's just a title for The Elder Scrolls Six, And like, it's one of those things where you can sit here and say, it's kind of a cheap move to get pop, but it worked. I... I I'm not even an Elder Scrolls fan. I was like, all right, that's really good. It's a good idea. Uh, these press conferences have really been coming in strong. This, For some reason, I kind of went into this E3 thinking like, it might just be a lot of stuff we know about and just longer demos of that. I There's, there's no insider information. I don't know anything about what's going to be shown at the PlayStation presser. That one, just from what they have said, feels like it's more going to be, we're going to discuss the things that you know about, but in more detail, which 
after the Microsoft press conference might be a little bit of a harder sell. Um, but that's kind of the sense I got from everything. So maybe I'm just consistently wrong about this. I thought there'd be very few surprises and this has felt cool. Devil May Cry looks really cool. There were so many indie games. I immediately reached out to like two or three of the indie developers from that Xbox reel because I was like, that looks rad. I want to see more of that. So I'm setting up podcasts for that. So um, I will be on the show floor definitely Wednesday, most likely part of Tuesday. I'm going to be at the um, the Pactor party on uh, on Tuesday, a couple more on Wednesday. Um, I'll be representing Tangent Games, not the 1099 podcast. But if you do see me out and about, feel free to say hi. Would love to meet people. Um, met a lot of cool people so far who I've, I've podcasted with before or I've known. And it's fun to finally, you know, put a, a face and a voice and mannerisms to, to the name type of thing. Like, it's cool actually meeting these people you've known for a long time. Still a lot more on my list, but um, I am going to work the, you know, next few days. So it's, I'll get down there as much as I can. So uh, again, today's episode is with Ray Davis. Um, the next week's episode will be with Mike Fodder, um, who was at Game Informer and, uh, he's worked with Bithel Games. Um, there's a lot of other things in the works. It's E3 madness and just a lot of work stuff has made it hard to back record as much as I want to, but hopefully this weekend or next weekend, I'll start doing that. As always, if you have any suggestions, uh, about guests or certain topics, feel free to drop me a tweet at Josiah Renauden or at the 1099 podcast. If you'd like to leave the podcast a great review, you can go to iTunes and search for the 1099 podcast or whatever podcast platform you use would work to. Um, the subreddit, uh, the 1099, uh, that's a great place to put suggestions to and any other discussions you want to have. Uh, thanks everyone for all the support since the move. Thanks everyone for all the great tweets about recent episodes. Um, I hope everyone's having a great E3. Hope I see a lot of people out there who are listening to this right now. And I hope, and I know, you'll enjoy this episode with Ray Davis. Welcome to episode 152 of the 1099 for the week of June 11th, 2018. I'm your host, Josiah Renauden, and with me today is the CEO and co-founder at Drift Entertainment, former studio manager at Epic Games and lead programmer on Gears of War 1 and 2, and a virtual reality and augmented reality expert, Ray Davis. Ray, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Thank you. Absolutely. I'm super happy to have you on. Um, and I promise I won't go on and on about Gears of War because I'm interested in talking about Drift Entertainment and Gunheart and everything you're working on right now. But uh, we were talking about this off air. There are a few things about the development of Gears that I learned from your LinkedIn profile and what you'd worked on that I'd love to know about. Because it was just around three years after you got your computer science degree when you started working on Gears of War. So you really didn't have this endless well of experience when it came to the process of making games you know what it took to make <laughs> one expectations for after they release so yeah when you first started on that game could you and maybe it's an impossible question to answer could you have ever imagined 
what that series would become in the moments leading up to it? Did you feel like you were building something special or was it too hard to tell because you <laughs> didn't have that background yet? Yeah. Well, actually, let me let me walk that back a little bit. Um, uh, I, I actually left school. I never finished and got my programming oh, okay. degree. Um, I left school because... Uh, you know, I got my start in the mod community back in the day around Unreal. I was such a huge fanboy. I ran like a an Unreal script tutorial site uh, first, if anybody remembers way back when, um, and was doing some subcontracting. And one of the the people I worked with, you know, they they got a publisher and start a new game studio, and that was sort of my well, heck, let's let's go make games into a career, which you know was a conversation I couldn't really have with my dad at the time, but you know it's worked out in the long run. Um, and, and I remember, you know, Epic was always sort of just on this crazy high pedestal and Tim Sweeney, you know, the creator, uh, it, it just seemed, you know, disbelief when I was applying for jobs that I would ever even think to apply there. Um, but through a long sequence of events, yeah, I ended up finding myself actually at Scion Studios, which was the sister studio that, uh, Epic spawned up to work on the Unreal franchise while they, you know, they wanted to dig in on Gears of War. And then, um, you know, we did just... Mike Caps did such a great job of hiring a lot of talented people in Scion Studios that like, hey, wait a second, why don't we just squeeze back together? And that that was my entry into Epic Games. Um, so it, it was never really my intent to necessarily like, you know, hey, I've got to work at Epic Games someday. It just kind of <laughs> happened and I'm very grateful for that. Um, and when I joined Gears of War, it was an interesting time, right? Because I know Cliff and the team had tried a few different uh, versions of, un uh, of Gears of War. A lot of those concepts, like I think some of the vehicle combat ended up in like UT 2K4, if you remember. Um, you know, Gears of War, the original concept was wildly different, from my understanding of what we actually ended up shipping. Um, but yeah, I think... If I remember back on those early days, uh, you know, just being surrounded by so many super talented, very, very good at what they do <laughs> uh, people, there was just this crazy amount of passion and enthusiasm. It's like, I don't, I don't know if we ever had a clear vision of what the game would be the day we shipped. And there was, you know, sort of a crazy crunch to actually ship that first version, which we can talk about if you're interested. Yeah. Um, but it, it was just that constant, like, man, this is awesome. And I remember from my, my perspective, kind of working my way up because I was, you know, a lowly gameplay programmer when I first started and sort of had to earn my stripes and, and become the, the lead uh, programmer eventually. Um, it was just like that constant, like, what is the coolest thing I can do and then show off to the rest of the team so they get super excited and it sort of just keeps feeding that excitement. And um, it's part of what I just love about making games even to this day. It's just like, oh, I have this crazy idea. We had this conversation in the hallway. Wait, give me five minutes. Let me go make something. And then, hey, look, it's <laughs> awesome. You know, the, the ability to do that is just so satisfying and rewarding, you know? Yeah, I've really only been, I was, you know, media for so long. And now that I'm working in development, I've been there for like a month. But I already exactly know what you mean about the excitement of someone says something and you're like, oh, that's perfect. Let's go try that. Let's go mess with that. Let's go play with that. And then actually see what that looks like once you integrate it with something. And you, you mentioned the crunch on that game. Was a lot of that because you were working on a game for a next generation console? There's a lot of moving targets. There's a lot of different things that you might not be able to anticipate at the start of development versus the end of it. What was the final you know, year or six months of that project actually like? Um. 
Well, it's interesting. I know we talked a lot about this in my last uh, tour of duty at Epic is there's been many chapters in that, that company's life. Um, you know, when I joined, that sort of started the, the the chapter of the Gears of War era, right? And now clearly it's <laughs> it's the Fortnite era for Epic. Um, and I look at like, you know, prior to me joining, game industry as a whole was still kind of in what I call like the Wild West. You know, there was this drive to have sort of the celebrity rock star designers that were going to be like you know, same as movie directors, like who's our Spielberg of games and all that kind of stuff. And in that sort of atmosphere, especially between both Epic and id, there was just this, you know, it's not about the process or whatever. It's about just doing the coolest thing you can imagine and being excellent at it and kind of just going off the rails. And Gears of War, especially when we brought uh, Rod Ferguson in, um, you know, he was at first he was on the, the Microsoft side and then we eventually <laughs> convinced him to come over to the, the dark side. Um, but with him, he brought a lot of like really important things like, hey, guys, if we manage to ship this game by this day, it means a lot of really positive opportunities for us. And that was a, a big culture shift of us as a team and as a company being able to say, focus like, hey, it's no matter, we got to stop saying that would be cool and just like, no, this date, we got to do it. Um yeah. And there was a lot of growing pains. You know, the company grew a lot. The team grew a lot in the process of developing that game. And there's a lot of features. And just going from a anything goes into, no, this has to work. It has to work on this crazy thing, the Xbox 360, which, you know, as prior as a PC developer, there was a lot of just lessons from an engineering point of view that we had to, to learn along the way. Um, yeah, and it was, it was definitely crazy hours. Um, and I think... You know, we, we, we learned a lot of lessons during that process that we immediately applied into Gears of War 2, which I was really, really proud of. I, and I, I felt like we matured a lot out of that process. Um, but yeah, it was, it was definitely a, a serious <laughs> crunch to get that thing out the door. Was it almost a shock that it was as well received? Not because you didn't believe in it, but when you do go into that phase of here's the date, we got to stop experimenting. We got to just make decisions. And so many people who I've talked to who are developers have this sort of, I'm surprised whenever a game ships sort of mentality because everything that goes into it. So when it did get the rave reviews and sold as well as it did, was it expected for you or is that a surprise? Well, anytime you go through a crazy ship crunch, you, there's this whole process of coming back to life of yeah. like, what do I do when I'm not working, you know, 12 to 14 hours every day? And <laughs> um, and you just kind of stop thinking and caring. You know, I think there was a good, we, we basically, I think, shut the company down for a good four weeks at the least of just everybody go home, see your families, do whatever you do. And that we weren't really thinking about like, hey, does it, is this thing going to be successful or not? Um, but I can tell you absolutely it was a huge surprise when we got those first numbers back and um, and then, you know, it just kept going and going. And I think over six months and we hit the was it like five million units or something like that. It was like yeah. it, it, we never even at least at my level, I never dreamed that, you know, being uh, part of a game that big. Um, all I can remember, and I kind of hold this true, even with Gunheart, you know, our title of Drifter that we're launching is we enjoyed playing the shit out of that game every day while we were working on it. You know, the death yeah. matches, the brawls, they're intense. And as a game developer, that's sort of the only thing you can hang your hat on because it, we know the game industry, it's, it's, it's hit driven. And sometimes, you, I mean, to this day, you can't predict, you couldn't predict that Fortnite was going to blow up the way it did. You know, it just, yeah. it was the right combination of time and elements or whatever. And it happened. So, um, so I just go back to this, like, man, we, we worked our asses off a lot of talented people made some really amazing stuff and, and it happened, it happened to hit, you know, it was great. Yeah. And I definitely want to talk about the nature of the hit driven business, but you mentioned before that we were in this period where we were trying to find these big names in game development that, uh, users or players could kind of hold on to. You see this studio, you think of Cliff Blazinski, you see this other studio, you think of Hideo Kojima, but is that kind of 
unhealthy for how we should look at game development. I was talking to someone recently who has been in games for a while, and they had mentioned that really in a lot of those cases, those figureheads are more, if we're going to do like a sports analogy, they're (laughs) more like the coach of a basketball team. And in every development house, there's these all-stars that everyone should know about. You should know about the LeBrons, the KDs, the Steph Currys (laughs) on these teams. But instead, you're knowing about the person who's kind of putting them in the correct place to succeed. So should it be more, we should know about the lead this or the head that or the senior this instead of this is the person whose name is on the box? Uh, I, I, you know, I think there's value in both. I, I have, I, to this day, I still have a ton of respect for Cliff and, you know, he and I, it, it took a while for us to figure out how to work together, but I think we had a really good, uh, balance to each other. You know, Cliff is a fantastic blue sky designer. He just comes up with the wildest shit sometimes, <laughs> which is, which is great. And, and he also has the charisma to go out there and get people excited about it. Um, but at the end of the day, when I was working with him, uh, you know, especially like during Gears of War 2, he and I always had these back channel discussions, for example, on controls. Like, I, that's one of the things I get really passionate about is, you know, especially a console game, you're holding this piece of plastic in your hand. And it was my goal to make that plastic disappear, right? And mm-hmm. the way you do that is you, you make every button press, like, just become muscle memory and, and, and Cliff would be constantly, you know, he'd be playing the latest build and he's like, man, I tried to, I hit A and then B and I was sliding in the cover and trying to do this and it didn't do it. This is what I wanted to happen. And he'd send that back to me. I'd figure out what it was, dissect it and fix it and just go back and forth, back and forth and back and forth. Um, and out of that, I think we, you know, especially Gears of War 2, I think that was, we got the controls just freaking solid, right? Yeah. Um, but at the same time, like he, he can be a very, you know, very micro focus on just getting that quality to a really high state. But he could also come out with a just crazy, you know, left field, like, what the, I don't even know where that is. <laughs> Give me a moment to, to think about it. And then, you know, let's, let's figure it out. Right. Um, and I, I think it's really valuable. I think, and also speaking from like, is he a person, I, I think he did a great job of representing the team and the franchise during the time. Um, and for most of the people on the team and myself included, we really appreciated that. It was like, hey, we're in the last mile trying to lock this thing down, like just bugs from miles. We just got to kill it. Having somebody while we're doing that, go out there, get people hyped, get them excited, give them the reason to talk about it. Even if it's sometimes controversial, like we all get like just getting that attention is sometimes the hardest part. And so if you have somebody like that as an ambassador to the team is fantastic, you know, and, and I think every developer would lament like, oh, you know, gamers don't always appreciate that it takes an army to make these things. And, they, you know, yeah. the, all the hard work goes into it. At the end of the day, I don't, I don't know if that matters so much. You know, it's like, hey, what matters? Did you get a chance to work with really cool people on a cool project that that some people out there enjoy playing? That's great. And if people like Cliff or Kojima help like galvanize and just get more excitement, I, I just don't see how that's a bad thing. You know? Did that attention though during that really big crunch cycle where people started to get excited about it make it? even harder to get to the finish line i mean of course you want that attention because you want the game to succeed but is there also part of you of like god damn now people are expecting this and we have no idea how we're going to get this to the finish line by this date <laughs> uh i i think in my experience cliff was always very practical he he always had a really good sense of where the game was and where it was probably going to be versus you know like i guess molyneux is the the most infamous <laughs> designer of and i had tons of respect for molyneux i had an opportunity to meet him once when i was working at microsoft and i was just blown, totally starstruck um you know, there's there's some people who are just like constantly out in the clouds and never bring it back to reality. Um, but yeah, I think I think Cliff tread that line really well. Um, my my 
good friend Mark Rain sometimes said things that we <laughs> got really annoyed with. Um, but I, I think he's much better about that these days. Is it strange now as someone who was from that original team and contributed so much to uh, four Gears of War to watch the franchise grow today? Because that's a series you worked on for six years. So, uh, so yeah. can can it be odd watching how it's changed someone else working on it. I would assume if I was a part of a, a big game and then suddenly an entirely different group of people is working on it, there's this moment of, man, that was this thing we started in this studio with all these different ideas and now look at it grown in another direction. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, I, I liken it to sending your kids off to college, which I guess they'll get to do someday. <laughs> um, you know, Gears 2 was the last one that I that I shipped out the door. I, I left Epic, uh, I think it was probably about halfway while they were still working on Gears 3. And I was actually working on a Skunkworks project at the time. You know, I, I tricked a good friend of mine, like, hey, why don't you try being lead programmer of the Gears of War 3 and I'll go do this other thing, right? <laughs> um, and, you know, I... Everybody's going to make different creative decisions, uh, and I, I think it's all good. Uh, you know, I, it's a question I often ask myself is like, maybe they're making better decisions without me, right? Like, was I holding yeah. back something that could have been awesome, at, you know, not knowing uh, for whatever reason, right? Um, so I think it's cool. And, you know, I was so excited when, uh, you know, Rod took over the studio up there in Vancouver, and he brought... Uh, you know, he managed to bring a lot of those people from Epic that are diehard, you know, Gears lifers, like, you know, Greg Mitchell, Cinemax director, Prince, uh, the, the head of QA. And it's just fantastic that, you know, something that was so, that we poured so much of our life into is still got, it's still going on, right? And yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's undoubtedly different as if though I was still involved in it, but man, I think it's still fantastic. And I, I'm excited to see, hopefully at East, I don't know, the C3, they're going to show more cool stuff. That would be amazing. Yeah. Have you thought about, what your version of Gears of War in 2018 or 2019 would look like because we just saw God of War come back and completely flip things around to modernize it and to make it make sense it's still that beloved franchise and you still get a certain feel that reminds you of God of War but it works for the environment that we're in right now so have you thought about what a modern maybe even like innovative Gears of War would look like today? Uh, sort of, uh, actually this happened last week. Um, I was, uh, I was out with Brian Murphy, our creative director, and we just, I don't know what we were talking about, some, some mashups or whatever. And I was like, you know what, if I was Microsoft, if I was Phil Spencer, I would be pushing so hard for a Gears of War Halo mashup. That would be oh, amazing. Man. Can you imagine a warthog coming over the hill and it's Marcus Phoenix driving it or something, right? Like, <laughs> and, and it's perfect. Those universes, like there's a fantastic game to be made there. I don't. God knows if it ever be happened, but that's 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 what my brain is right now. I'm I'm definitely not a developer that I don't I don't want to go retread ground we've already you know <laughs> been over many many times. I want to see something new. I want to see something even crazier than it's been done before. And as the game industry expands, uh, I mean, there's so many more titles and developers and creative ideas out there. I kind of feel like. It's no longer a good strategy to play it safe anymore, right? Like, just go yeah. go wild. It's much better to go freaking strange and fail <laughs> than to keep doing the same thing that feels safe and is not going to get anybody excited. Because you see a lot of these games, they're huge productions, fantastic people putting a lot of uh, blood, sweat, and tears into it. And they kind of disappear on the radar uh, like within six weeks, right? Which which is no fun. You, you want to make something that 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 persists and lasts and, and builds an audience. And I feel like you gotta you gotta tread new ground for that to happen. 
Yeah, it is strange, right? Where like everyone thought that if you just make sort of the standard thing that people are playing right now and do it a little bit better, that's the safest way to spend you know, $50 million or something <laughs> like that. But then you look at Fortnite, which when it came out was good, but wasn't really grabbing this massive audience. It makes this switch mm-hmm. suddenly for a different version and boom, Battle Royale. Now it feels like this sort of cultural Minecraft scale of people who you don't even know what a controller looks like are talking about Fortnite and its impact on everyone. So I'd assume, does a success at that scale change the way you think about creating and shipping games as a whole? Is that the sort of moment where everyone has to stop and take notice and realize that, man, this game completely reinvented itself and did something wild. What else, what other opportunities are out there? (laughs) Yeah, I think... um... It, there's there's a huge number of factors go into this like you know undoubtedly i think god of war is a great example of like you know very triple a sort of strategy and building and just and making an amazing game that's so well polished and so well executed that it, it just really resonates right um but that's a super expensive endeavor and and over the last at least the last five five or six years i've been so inspired at the the indie hits that just come out of nowhere from people who haven't necessarily been making games that long, you know, in some cases, you know, they're, they're longtime professionals. Other times it's just really passionate people that have a great concept, you know, maybe it's remaking their favorite game or their childhood, but they do it in such a way that it just, it, it creates this awesome audience. And, and as a gamer these days, I find myself gravitating more and more to these sort of smaller productions, these like, we're going to take this one thing and just, just take it really far in a strange way. Yeah. And it becomes really fascinating. Um, so I would say it's like, you know, there's always going to be room for both. Just like, you know, every so often, like when mobile gaming was going crazy, it's like, oh, it's the death of consoles or it's the death of PC. Or it's like, no, no, no. They all continue to grow and find more people and, and, and more things to play. I think the important thing as a developer is to, to pay attention to what's happening around you and be inspired. Whether you're working on a 500-man team or a five-person team, you know, look both directions and see like, hey, why are they doing it that way? You know, why, why is that working? What, what can we learn and, and apply to our own things, you know? Um, and that's also a great way just to make sure you're not getting burned out, <laughs> you know, which is yeah. another big problem for our industry is, you know, just keep, keep trying new ideas, try something different, even if the old way kind of works, see if you can do it better, you know? Yeah, it, it is really funny how, uh, of course, I've been playing God of War. My, you know, my, my team works out of Sony Santa Monica, so like super happy with how that's worked for them. But I keep, instead of playing God of War, I'm like five hours in, I just got this indie game called Moonlighter, mm-hmm. which is all about this concept of you're entering Zelda-like dungeons that are randomly generated. You're getting items, you're selling them at a shop, and you're buying stuff. And it's a simple but extremely well-done concept that, like you said before, they take it all the way and they do one thing really well. And I'm sitting there being like, I am playing this maybe eight person teams <laughs> game over this, you know, hundred million dollar God of War giant team. And like, that's the cool part about games is somehow mm. you can get your entire weekend, even with all these options that should be, you know, quote unquote better. You end up playing this, this indie darling that really connects with you. Yeah. And I, I think there's this sort of new in between space to like. Uh, I, I'm huge fans of companies like, uh, you know, Tim Schafer over at Double Fine and uh, uh, Obsidian, you know, they just released Pillars of Eternity 2, um, you know, where they just, they, they're, they've got those sort of AAA roots. They're a little bit bigger than your, your, your smaller teams, but they're able, you know, maybe it's because the industry is big enough, they can find a big enough audience like, you know, Pillars of Eternity. It's like, 
if you ever loved CR Western CRPGs, this is like one of the best ones you could play, right? Because they've just they've been doing it so long. They're so fantastic at it. And they have that freedom to just like narrowly focus, like we're just gonna make it exactly to yeah. our vision, you know? And I and I love that as being a gamer nowadays. It's like that ability is there's you go on Steam, there's just like, man, if you want the Metro Roguevania, whatever. <laughs> There's probably a really good game there for you now, you know? There might be there's 10 of them. A dozen. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And, it, it, you know, there's always jumping on the bandwagon. You know, how many Battle Royale games are we going to hear about in the next six months, right? But, um, you know, in between those, you, you find some really awesome gems, some really things to be inspired by, you know? Yeah. And, like, even stuff, there's almost a triple I industry out there, too, now, where there's, like, smaller indies. But then there's, um, I, I know Greg Kasavin really well, and I love Supergiant. And the fact that mm-hmm. they're... It's like every few years they they have this trailer for this incredible looking thing. A year later it comes out and it's like that was amazing. And then they go back into hiding for three or four more years and make another game. Like there's it's it's really cool the diversity out there. And you did mention there could be a billion battle royale games by tomorrow, which you're absolutely right. So this is an impossible question to answer, but I'll ask it anyway. Mm-hmm. How difficult is it to not only predict trends in game development, but also know when a new concept is real and here to stay? versus just a fad that might fade away by the time your <laughs> game releases. Because right. c- could you imagine someone right now being like, okay, here's this AAA concept. We're going to make the ultimate battle royale game. It's going to come out three years from now in 2021. At that point, Fortnite's not even a thing anymore. Those A new thing has come up, and this game that you've spent $50 million on doesn't work. This happened with MMOs, where people were making these giant MMOs, and then that sort of genre was starting to disappear people didn't want that so a lot of those couldn't get the legs they wanted under them it how hard is it to know how much (laughs) of this is just luck uh i mean i i i think the the luck component is is yeah stumbling onto the great idea whatever it may be and maybe it's an idea that you know happened 10 years ago in a game nobody ever played <laughs> but once you realize that hey there's something here the ability to execute it and, and, and execute well uh take years of war for example you know we we did a lot of fun things but like the cover mechanic and i guess for a lot of people are like oh this is the first real cover shooter and i'm like well we definitely did not invent cover by any means right um i can't even remember the game before but there was a fantastic i believe it was a ps2 game that had a cool cover mechanic that really inspired a lot of things and sometimes it's like hey they did it this way why don't we yeah, let's try something different, right? And find our way and, and really polish on it. And I think that's, you know, that was part of our success in Gears of War is we took that mechanic, made good controls for it, integrated in the game. So, it, you know, it really had an impact in your decisions, your strategy and all that kind of stuff. Um, and that led to success. And if you, you know, you, you could cynically break down Battle Royale gameplay and it's like all the elements, uh, not, I don't know if any of it's particularly new. You know, these are all concepts that have been in various games over the years um, and some of them quite old, right? Um, but maybe it's simply bringing bringing those back, and and maybe it's the alchemy of putting them together in this sort of unique package, and yeah. and the timing too, right? Like the generate, it's kind of funny, you know. There's a huge huge number of fans of Epic Games right now as a studio that have no idea Gears of War probably you know <laughs> exists, right? <sighs> Much less like the Unreal franchise, which you know is my, what what got me started down this path. Um, but that's okay, right? And and it's it's fun, like I. I don't know. Does anybody ever consider themselves old? I still feel like a kid. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> but, it, you know, as a developer, I, especially running my own company now, it's like, man, I am definitely from a different generation. Like, I care about things that are wildly different than people playing Fortnite, for example, or PUBG or whatever the case may be. So, you know, I think that's an important thing as a, as a creative is the ability to kind of step out, step outside of yourself a little bit and try to really understand from the perspective of, of these other people. It's like, well, why, why is this resonating? You know, what, what are they seeing that I don't necessarily see, right? If I'm not a fan of that style of game and so on. I would assume that's difficult though, right? To be able to, to, you mentioned before how when you were playing Gears of War back in the day, everyone was just having fun playing it. And now mm-hmm. you just mentioned before, you might, the, the big stuff out there right now, you might not love it. Like it might not be your cup of tea. So when you're making a game now that has the wide appeal, you have to step out of yourself and try to figure out what people are into. I mean, is there... Is it tough doing the balancing act of making something you want to play with also making something that maybe isn't your favorite (laughs) genre, but it works for what people want? Yeah. You know, jokingly, I always had a golden rule for myself is never work on your favorite kind of game to play. Like I I love, I love (laughs) shooters. I love co-op shooters. I play them all the time, but like, like a hardcore RPG, I've, you know, I've played God knows how many hours (laughs) in those kind of games. I kind of don't want to go like, don't ever go make a Diablo game because you'll probably ruin that genre for yourself. Um, I I don't know if it's true, but that was sort of my fear. Um, I don't know. I I, I think I I love studying games and sort of breaking down the mechanics and understanding like why, you know, two games do basically the same thing on paper, but it works really well here and not there. Like, what is it? Is it, is it the polish? Is it the, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, from an audience study point of view, uh, it's, that's definitely the most difficult, you know, um, at the end of the day, you are who you are and it's, it's really hard to set aside any of those sort of biases that we even have one way or another. Um, I remember actually when I first joined, uh, Microsoft and was working on the connect project, um, you know, connect part of the development process is doing your standard focus groups, right? Bring in, Hey, we want uh, mom of three, uh, you know, to to play the <laughs> connect and see her reactions. What she understand, what she doesn't understand. And I remember watching. I think I watched like thirty or maybe even forty hours of those videos, just because I was so just. It, it blew my mind to see this person react to this technology in ways that I couldn't even conceive, right? Because yeah. I'm a developer who's been working with it for years, or whatever, you know. And it, and for me, that was just a really important lesson. Is like. You know, there's sometimes you can definitely trust your gut and your instincts, but often you you need to go find a way to validate that, right? And 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 you know, sometimes you just got to take creative leaps of faith, you know, and you'll you'll find out when you ship and take take it to market. But uh, yeah, no, it's it's an interesting process. And you mentioned Connect and motion controls, and it's funny. Back in those days, there was so much conversation about will people even be using controllers in the future? Is it all going to be like <laughs> Wiimotes or using your body or like the wands that PlayStation use? But I mean, at that time when you were with Microsoft and when you were working on Connect. Did you see a ceiling? Did you feel like you were a part of a wave that could entirely change the way people played games? Or was it just, we're going to do some cool technology and see where it goes? Um, so when I joined Connect, it was it was pretty late in the cycle. I think I joined about 10 months before we actually launched it. Um, so, you know, I was kind of, <laughs> it was like, hey, here's a whole bunch of Kool-Aid. Why don't you start sipping it? You know, <laughs> um, you know and, I, and I it was bewildering for me too, because I, you know, coming from, I think, six, six and a half years at Epic Games at the time, you know, a kind of chaotic game studio doing whatever it does. And to Microsoft, this big corporate organization spinning up new things, there was just a lot for me to take in at the time. 
I, you know, and I, I just kind of focus in, I was like, wow, this is really awesome technology. Um, and I still stand by that. A lot of the bones of Connect is driving this whole virtual reality, augmented reality. And I think it's going to keep coming back, like depth tracking, full body skeletal tracking, like this is awesome stuff. When we, when we can, as developers can count on that being available in everybody's households, we're going to be able to do so, uh, so many amazing things, right? Like the holodeck becomes real. Uh, so yeah, I, I, you know, just looking from engineering project, it was, it was super fun. It, it was a device, not necessarily for your core gamers. So it wasn't something that I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to go home and, and play this every night kind of thing. Um, but you know, it, it definitely was really cool. I got, uh, I think I really enjoyed seeing, yeah, in a weird way, I think it got too caught up in like, oh, Connect is just Microsoft's answer to the Nintendo Wii. Yeah. And obviously, yeah, from a business point of view, there's there, but it's like, man, the, the Wii technology is cool. And God bless uh, Nintendo for, you know, <laughs> bringing that to market and, and, and the way they did. And it was just obviously a huge success for them. Um, but underneath Connect, aside from all the business and positioning stuff, it's like, yeah, man, this is just awesome, cool technology. I learned so much as an engineer working on that stuff. A lot of that fed right into HoloLens, and it, it just really helped me stop looking at, hey, I just want to make a cool game necessarily, and start looking towards, hey, new technology allowing us to build experiences we couldn't build before, right? What is <laughs> inevitably it's got to be a good thing, right? Like, let's, hey, take the. It's kind of what we've done with Drifter and like. We want to build co-op shooters because we really love co-op shooters and a lot of fun. And if we mix that with virtual reality, what sort of new things start to pop out of that that we didn't anticipate? And you know, what sort of roller coasters can we start riding as we go down that path? Um, and that that definitely, uh, yeah, that 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 got me hooked on all these crazy technologies of the future. And I got to say, I, I'm definitely in the pit of I'm the optimist. You know, I think by 2020 we'll all be living in virtual reality simulations you know maybe maybe not right but someday someday it's it's bound to happen is that a big part of what drives you personally in games where you you've worked on uh vr you've worked on ar you've done motion controls you're always involved with what people see as this could possibly be the next thing this is the thing that's still experimental and there's so much you can blaze trails in that way right it's hard right now to blaze trails in uh, an Xbox or PS4 third-person shooter. There's so many out there that you really have to take different types of swings. But when you're working in AR, VR, motion controls, you're kind of defining the rules for how things are going to be in the future. You're building games that people might copy because you suddenly figured out, oh, this is actually the right way to do that. So is there a big part of you that sees these new trends, these new technologies? And you're like, man, I want to be a part of the the, the group that solves that riddle. Yeah, I think on one hand, it's just, it's exciting. You, you, you know, there's, there's no bit of soil on planet earth that, you know, man hasn't traversed, but when it comes to making games with this new technology, it's all brand new, right? Like nobody is like, has necessarily figured out how to make the ultimate VR co-op shooter yet. Right. And we're, we are definitely pushing as far as we can down that path and, and, and I kind of look at it as like, obviously, we want to find success for our own titles and our own company so we can keep doing this and, and, and so on. <laughs> um, but if nothing else, you know, being part of that first wave, having a sort of, hey, this team did this, right? Like this is something other developers in the future can also study and dissect and hopefully be inspired and and, and learn from any of the mistakes that we happen to make, right? And, and go even further. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely find that really just creatively satisfying. Um, and you know VR is particularly interesting because you we're getting even closer to the physiology of like of humans and, and understanding like hey you can do this but you can't do this sometimes right like yeah. <laughs> um, you we uh, locomotion and nausea obviously a very common thing for virtual reality we um, 
think about four or five weeks ago, added a jump mechanic to the game, which is really fantastic if you're playing a non-VR mode, like traditional PC shooter. It's super fun. You're flying through the air, shooting guys in the face, all that fun stuff, right? And virtual reality, you know, I tend to have a pretty weak stomach. So I was like, but it's so awesome. I got to try it. Um, and, and yesterday I literally almost fell out of my chair in virtual reality, which was, I was just so caught up in the experience and uh, like, I didn't think it was possible. You're sitting in a chair. How do you fall out of a chair? Right. Um, but we were just in this crazy deathmatch brawl with some of the folks from our community testing out the jump mechanics and he was flying past me and I was flying past him and trying to grab the bow and, you know, <laughs> and it's just that, that, that whole thing is, it's just been a fascinating journey. It's like, why does that work? Why? um you know falling for me makes me really sick but if i'm if i have the ability to teleport out of that fall it's perfectly fine i don't really understand the science of that but i know that it works from a game development point of view so like how do we build a game that encourages players to have these crazy abilities locomotion or whatever the case may be but also make it comfortable right like go that extra mile to really understand and dissect it as best as we can and again not only for our own title but as as knowledge that we can regurgitate to the to the broader development community I was going to say that like having someone like you is super useful who does have a weak stomach so you can test those things out. So you don't have all the the like I've been doing VR for 10 years type of people yeah, who yeah. have this iron stomach. We need someone like you who's like I almost puked when I fell down. So we need to figure this out. Yeah, I think uh, it, it's it's good. My uh, uh, One of my co-founders, Brian Murphy, our creative director, he's definitely one of those people who's like nothing makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> like that must be nice, you know, because <laughs> um, uh, I, you know, it was the Servios released their uh, racing game not too long ago. And, and unfortunately, I had to take the headset off right away, even though it was like, man, I want to play this game, right? Um, yeah. But it just wasn't, you know, I can do it. And he's like, what are you talking about? This is amazing. Foom, 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 you know, jump into the air and whatever the case may be. So, yeah, I think it's a good balance for sure. Um, and I think it's it's really important, you know, back, take it back in time to Gears of War, um, going even to controls, like a console shooter Halo did a fantastic job, not only being a great game, but they set the standard uh, for how to do shooter controls from the auto aim, the the mouse look, the adhesion, um, you know, this button does that and all that kind of stuff. And it was fantastic to um, kind of set that bar again, like when we do Cures of War, it's like, man, if you're going to do cover in your game, at least do it as well as we've done, right? Because this is yeah. like a really cool standard. Um, and, and that's the same thing we take forward with virtual reality. Um, it, actually, if you want to get into like the engine tech, um, one thing that we built, uh, during the process of Gears of War development is called Kismet, which was, a, a, a visual scripting system, right? It allowed designers to basically prototype and sequence events in the game without necessarily going to a programmer, which is a very, it sounds like a trivial thing, but it's actually really important because most yeah. programmers are honorary jerks. <laughs> and you're like, you know, you no longer have to convince them that your idea would be cool if they just do it the way you tell them to do it, right? Instead, you're like, fine, here, I'll just go do it myself. Look, see? Um, and the, the net result is we were able to build so much stuff and, and iterate so many more times and that much faster. And for every uh, game studio that was licensing Unreal Engine, it, it had a huge, it, it, it changed the production pipeline for a lot of game studios, right? And it was fantastic to be able to say, hey, I worked on that. I helped build Kismet. Um, and, and look at this cool, uh, you know, impact it's had on a whole industry, right? Um, and that's something that, that absolutely has been part of my DNA ever since is like, man, whatever we're doing, um, whether it's game engine or game technology or games themselves, like let's, let's try to raise the bar and, and build something that, you know, can help other people do even more, right? Because we're all, you know, standing on the shoulders of many, many other people in this process. Based on all that, 
where did the concept of Gunheart come from and what do you kind of see that makes it special? What do you personally, as someone who's so closely tied to it, see as like what makes it stand out? Yeah, I think um, it's interesting. When we first started, so it was myself and two other co-founders, you know, Brian Murphy is a creative director on the HoloLens. I worked with him on Connect as well. He comes from Microsoft and, and working with very much his headset was in like, uh, augmented reality, virtual reality, new technology, new forms of input, right? Um, my other co-founder, Kenneth Scott, uh, is sort of a, not sort of, he's a legendary art director in the game industry, right? He was back at, at Software, he's the art director for like Doom 3 and, and Quake, and, and he was working on Rage. Then he went and built, uh, you know, 343, and they took over the Halo franchise from Bungie and really like set it off in a fantastic new direction. Um, and he was actually over at Oculus too. So if you ever did oh. any of the uh, first party demos, like the dinosaur stomping down, like that was him and his team doing cool stuff there. So it was really interesting to see the three of us coming with some similarities in all of our backgrounds, but also a lot of like, well, how does this work, right? Like, wh- what are we going to come out of this? Um, and there were some some sort of baseline things. It's like, hey, we're starting a new company. The three of us had never worked together as a team. Like, uh, let's be smart about what risks we want to take, right? And so co-op shooter, proven fun. That's absolutely one thing I learned from, from Gears of War, from Halo, from so many classic shooters, right? Is like playing with friends or even just playing with strangers leads to more fun, right? Um And when we started in virtual reality, it was those early days, there weren't a lot of titles out there. You know, it was a lot of cool prototypes and concepts. There wasn't a lot of like, hey, man, it's it's coming home at the end of the day. Give me a game that I want to like jump in and and actually put my headset on and play with folks. Right. And so that was sort of our focus. Like, hey, virtual reality, crazy new concept for a lot of people. I don't want to have to explain a crazy new game on top of virtual reality right yeah. it's like where it makes sense let's make something that's really understandable and, and hopefully in a lot of you know classic gamer dna um and then be smart about understanding you know things like locomotion like day one we start with teleport right because we know teleport we can make that absolutely comfortable like and and, and if you start with teleport as a superpower for every character in the game what kind of world what kind of game do you build around it and it's sort of you you continue to evolve and over time, we, as we learn more and more about virtual reality and, and, and more about virtual reality fans and players, um, things like smooth locomotion is like, hey, for me, I would, if it was just me, I probably would have never put smooth locomotion in our game, right? But immediately we got out there and fans were like, hey, I want to strafe. I want to jump, like take off all this other stuff. I can handle it. And we're like, okay, let's do it. Let's, let's, let's yeah. try it in that experiment. And I think that's, that's really what's special for me in Gunheart. Uh, also going through this early access, you know, we spent a, a little under a year in early access. Um, it's just kind of building that game out in the open with the virtual reality audience and the game fans and, and sort of trying different things and, and seeing that experiment and seeing it all come together. Um, and especially over the last few months as we've been um, adding, you know, not only is it like a fantastic VR shooter, cross-play between Oculus and HTC Vive, Windows MR, whatever you got, um, we're also making a fantastic game to just play as a regular desktop PC game shooter, right? And mm-hmm. and allowing PC players to cross-play with VR players. And we've worked really, really hard to make it almost indistinguishable, right? It's like, if you're a VR player playing with PC guys, it, it kind of doesn't, you, you, you don't really notice, right? Because you're both just doing the same things, playing together, having fun, um, and, and, and vice versa. It's... I think that's one thing that's also really important to us is just always bringing as many of these communities together. You know, if, if Oculus is your thing and you've got a little brother who can't afford VR yet, hey, you guys can still share this awesome experience together and maybe get get more and more people excited in the process about eventually upgrading to virtual reality, right? Seeing seeing a little bit of what's what's possible with it. 
I think that's incredibly important is to get those people who might still question, you know, do I really need a headset and they can play with their friends and realize like, oh man, I can hear how much fun or how much different their experience <laughs> is with that. So I want to j- jump on board. And I talked to um, John Vignacchi not that long ago, formerly of Disney, and we were going back and forth on VR. And he had mentioned that one of the main issues he has with it is the the lack of a social kind of nature to it, that when you have that strapped on, you're kind of everyone around you is, is <laughs> you, you, you cannot worry about them. They're, you're in a different world. They're in their own world. Uh, in your mind, how important is the social aspect of not just your game, not just Gunheart, but but VR in general, because we do love social games. Like it, it, Fortnite, I feel like if I had to guess, a lot of people are playing that in duos or in full teams. And you want that experience of creeping into a house with your friends and being like, is this going to be the one with the trap? Are there going to be people waiting for me? That's the only way I play that game. Otherwise, it feels like a <laughs> horror game because anyone can jump on you at any point. So right. how integral to the success of VR is being able to share those VR experiences with other people? Yeah, I think one thing we discovered quite quickly is, um, yeah, maybe you're physically isolated, right? You, you can't see what's happening around you. But once you're stepping in this virtual universe, you actually have even more social capability. Um, and it's one thing that we ended up spending a lot of development effort on for Gunhart even that we didn't anticipate is, is adding more and more social-only features, right? Like goofy things too, like, hey, here's a balloon gun because why not, right? Um, when you when you connect into Gunhart, we stick you in the Bent Horizon, which is a, it's basically a giant social lobby for folks to, before they're out going missions or whatever, it's just to hang out, maybe upgrade their gear or whatever, but it's that social space, kind of like walking into Ironforge, you know, in World of Warcraft or something. Yeah. Um, but because it's virtual reality, because people have that body presence, uh, you know, it, there's something way more impactful about it. Um, and it, it's really fascinating to me, um, to, to, to have that experience and feel like, you know, the, 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 the fantasy of virtual reality and metaverse and all that stuff someday is like, I don't, I don't have to be constrained by reality anymore. I can be whoever I want to be. I can portray myself as whoever I want to be. And I think that was a big reason why MMOs were so freaking huge, uh, you know, during that early life cycle is, you know, <laughs> my persona that I'm showing you, it's like, look at my flaming demon skull shoulder pads <laughs> and, you know, and like just totally crushing noobs all around you. And, you know, behind that, South Park did a great portrayal of like what the real people might look like behind the screen there. But that's, that's really cool is right. Is like getting, getting people the opportunity to interact with each other in new ways um, that aren't necessarily you know, in, inhibited by if you're an introvert in real life, you don't have to be an introvert in virtual reality, right? Nobody cares. Uh, yeah. and, and you can kind of just go out there and have more fun. And I think that, you know, obviously VR chat there, they saw some huge success with that, that concept, you know, um, and it's, it's all the internet, right? People, anonymous people will do sometimes terrible, silly things. Um, but on, on the whole, I think it's, it's very positive. And I'm excited to see more and more developers do, do more things like this. Um, yeah, actually, I guess Rec Room is another great example. Oh, right? yeah. They're just doing a fantastic job of like, um, and sometimes it's dealing with a negative, right? Like, how do you, how do you stop griefers? How do you stop the trolls, right? How do you, because there's something, if you're playing a, a game like Fortnite and somebody gets in your face, you're like, whatever, you, you shoot them, they go away. In virtual reality, they can like step 
physically into your face and that's a really yep. disturbing feeling right and <laughs> and and things like harassment and whatnot it's like whoa okay this is interesting as a game developer we now have an obligation responsibility to build more systems and tools in the game so that players can can moderate and, and that community can and um, deal with folks like that so it's definitely interesting i don't i don't know if we've totally figured it all out yet but it's uh yeah it's definitely very important yeah, and you did mention before not wanting to add this additional layer of complexity when you're introducing people to VR. You don't want the, to give them a genre where they have to learn the entire genre while they're also getting their VR legs. So you do have like, okay, people understand what a co-op shooter is. We can adjust that for VR. Do you think there's still a genre out there or a type of game that only works in VR that we haven't even remotely tapped into yet? Once people do get accustomed to how to play video games in VR and how to not puke all over themselves if they're jumping or anything like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. Do you think there's still a type of game that it's like, man, we haven't even thought of that because we haven't entirely shifted our brains toward what a VR game is compared to what regular old video games are? Yeah, un un undoubtedly. Like every piece of technology in a creative endeavor uh, enables new things to be built. The same is true for music. You know, like <laughs> what was music before we had the synthesizer, you know, and what is music? <laughs> now um like uh, in the gaming sense look at um when's uh the iphone came out right uh you know initially it was hey here's a bunch of existing games we're gonna sort of cram into a touchpad with virtual joysticks and all kinds of terrible ideas but eventually you got angry birds you got clash of clans you got i don't know farmville you got all kinds of these wait no farmville was a facebook game sorry but <laughs> hopefully you get the point a mobile game yeah yeah but you get the point it's like Every new platform introduces new types of games that we had hadn't had before, and sometimes there's just mashups of existing genres. You know, it's kind of hard to say anything is a shooter versus an RPG. You know, because point point me to a shooter that doesn't have RPG elements in it these days, right? Yeah. Um, which I think is fine, right? It's more about just like, is this a good game or not? Um, but yeah, I, I sincerely hope virtual reality is is on its way to showing us some crazy new things just like you know niantic with pokemon go showed us a hint of what the augmented reality gaming future might might end up looking like you know and and that's just exciting both as a gamer and as a developer and and definitely a big reason why we jumped on virtual reality as early as we did you know it's like man <laughs> i hope we stumble on some crazy stuff and and definitely want to keep at it you know like our going through this process too i would say like there's there's no diminishing our love for virtual reality in any ways it's 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 fantastic and we're just like man how do we get more and more people to get a, to to buy into virtual reality because we know it's awesome and the more people that uh that get into it, it's a virtuous cycle the more we can do the more crazy ideas the more developers you get which means just we're going to discover these things that that haven't yet been found out you know I still play Pokemon Go, and I'm not ashamed to say it. They still somehow have me every day. I'm just like, uh, I really need to hit 300 on my Pokedex. Uh, Rec Room was a really good example before of just this fascinating game that people were really talking about. Other than that and what you've worked on, of course, have you played anything in VR that really made you go? You had that wow moment, that feeling of, <laughs> you know, this can only be done in VR. Are there other games out there that you would recommend to people if they just bought a headset today? Uh, I mean, there's there's obviously some there's a lot of fantastic games out there right now. The most recent Beat Sabers, you know, anybody who has any love of music will immediately enjoy that game. Um, they've done a fantastic job. I think, uh, you know, the classics like Robo Recall, obviously dear to my heart. Um, it's just a great example of the the polish of a team of Epic coming into virtual reality with a lot of love for the the medium. 
Um, and I think, you know, Oculus has got, what, Lone Echo? That's another fantastic one. Oh, or, yeah. What was the one that Twisted Pixel did? Um, oh, God. I forgot. The, they always the, do crazy things. Yeah. No, I, I love that developer. They do. They, they're very inspiring. It's like, how did you get that project greenlit, man? That's crazy. <laughs> that, that might be the <laughs> ultimate studio of, wait, how did you get money for that type of thing yeah, in a very there, positive way? Yeah. What was there one, like, lo- Loco Cycle or something like that? Oh, it was like a yeah. possessed motorcycle dragging you behind. Like, I mean, oh, Explosion Man is just you explode <laughs> to jump, which I know that that doesn't seem as crazy now, but I remember in the moment being like, like how do they shit. keep getting people to say yes to this? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I think you don't have to go far to find a lot of great, great titles out there. Um, I think the one that kind of blows my mind, uh, I'm going to get the name wrong, but it's the early uh, MMO. Is it? I'm going to say Orbis. I don't know if that's right. Oh, or I not. think I know what you're talking about. But I'm also in the same stage of I'm not sure if the name is right. <laughs> yeah, but it, 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 you know, I, I keep hearing from more and more people. It's like this game is awesome, and I go and I watch a trailer or watch somebody playing it on a stream. I'm like, doesn't necessarily look awesome. <laughs> like, what what am I missing here? But apparently, it's like once you're in there in the headset, and they've got a really awesome community. Apparently, that you know, if if that's one of your fantasies, which I think for a lot of VR gamers is. You know, man, I, I having been on many panels talking about virtual reality, I was like, man, the day somebody like Blizzard ships World of Warcraft for VR at that same pedigree, we're all done. That might be the end of humanity. Yeah, really. You know, because <laughs> I that already, might actually be unhealthy for everyone. No, World of Warcraft was unhealthy. I spent God, <laughs> an embarrassing number of hours in that thing, right? And actually, it's on the negative side. I had a, a really close friend who struggled for years and years to to kick his MMO habit, right? Like it was yeah. a serious addiction. Um, so it is kind of frightening, but on the other hand, how amazing is it going to be, right? Like, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's uh, God. Just you just saying that out loud made me fear for so many people of just <laughs> that becoming their daily life of just like, oh, I'm going to put this headset on and I will be gone for 12 hours. I'll see everyone later. Like, yeah, VR is a great and terrifying. Uh, <laughs> my last Gears of War question is sure. just related to the fact of did it get annoying or was it flattering when everything was called a Gears of War clone for the next decade? Every single game, it always became, oh, it's just a Gears of War clone. It's just a Gears of War clone. Was that kind of like, <laughs> oh, cool, we started that or please stop relating every video game that ever comes out to us. Thank you. Oh, no, man. It's it's like one of the biggest praises to see something that you did have impact on other other people, other games, other projects, you know. Um, and, you know, even to this day when f- sometimes, well, <laughs> not the younger generation, um, but when people are like, oh, you worked on Gears of War, man, that was the reason I got into the game industry. I'm like, holy, what? How's that yeah. possible, you know? And it, yeah, it's just so humbling to, to have the opportunity to have worked on something like that. Um, and yeah, and also in that same vein, having worked with all those awesome people and seeing how they've sort of spread throughout the industry, doing awesome, crazy things, you know, it's one of the coolest things about, about being part of this sort of extended family, you know? Um, last major thing, where can people find you and your team on social media? Uh, how can people buy <laughs> Gunheart? And maybe the biggest thing, what are you guys working on right now with the game that you can tell people? Yeah, so yeah, it's VR underscore Drifter on Twitter, uh, DrifterVR.com. You can find us on Steam to search for Gunheart. Um, we're aiming for June 4th, which uh, will be our 1.0 release. We've got the game. It's fantastic in virtual reality, and this will be the, the first version that officially supports PC crossplay with virtual reality. So that's really exciting. We, we hope a lot of people jump in and check it out. Um, you know, at this moment, uh, I am just in bug hell as one should be, you know, as, which is, it's a really, it's, it's a challenging part of game development, but it's also one of the most rewarding, like, especially you always have these bugs that just haunt you for like 
sometimes years, you know, and it's like, yeah. and the ability is like, I finally found that bastard and we fixed it, you know. <laughs> um, but it, it's just so nice too to see the game come together. It's it's polished, it's cohesive, you know. Uh, also remembering we're, we're 15 people, we're not, you know, 150 or whatever, right? right. But, um, you know, taking a lot of pride and having a lot of fun playing it too. That's always, that's what I was telling the team is like, man, we have no idea. You, you never know, right? It's Spielberg, can make the next movie that's a total flop. There's just no predicting success in, in these kind of industries, right? But at the end of the day, it's been a lot of fun making this. Uh, had a lot of fun working with this team, and it's a lot of fun for us to play, right? And like yesterday, we're doing play tests with the, some of our community fans, and they they handed my ass to me multiple times. But that's that's also like a good sign, right? It's like, man, they they are way better at this than me, which you know you can't can't be uh, anything but happy about, you know? Uh, Ray, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate this. It's I think when you talk to people who have been a part of major projects early on in their career and they go through that crunch, there's always the chance that it it burns them out and they kind of lose mm-hmm. a bit of that passion of what got in there. But, you know, talking to you before we started recording and, and right now it's super obvious that what you're doing right now is incredible for you. I think what you're doing is a lot of fun. Like your mm-hmm. games are awesome. And I can't wait to see how it develops, how it goes for you once this actually uh, goes live. And I hope to see more people getting on VR and understanding the, the, the social nature of it and how that can be just an entirely new way to connect with friends who might be across the country. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I mean, lifelong gamer and hopefully a lifelong game developer, right? So I uh, really, really appreciate it. No, totally. It's, it's people like you that make me just month one into game development be like, all right, this, this, I'm going to, you know, keep your head up. This is going to be fun. I, it's cool <laughs> to see how passionate other people are. So uh, thanks again for coming on. Thanks everyone for listening and hopefully tune back in for the next episode of the 1099.